Heyo! And welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 72 of the podcast. And I am happy to be here today, folks. Welcome back. Today we're going to talk about some cognitive tips and tricks for college success. Um, Reaching back on this one, this was uh, sort of a topic I talked a little bit about more uh, early on in the podcast. Um, And that was because I was um, working on a research study that involved uh, the use of cognitive remediation for college students with uh, mental health issues. So it was fresh in my mind. It was something I was doing a lot more or had come out of doing a lot. And, uh, you know, it was an initial thing that I thought I could really bring to the podcast that would, uh, you know, be something that not everybody else kind of had the training in and stuff. So um, as time's gone on and the podcast has sort of evolved, you know, I don't, I had an idea of where it was going to start in the beginning. And, and I thought cognitive remediation and cognitive strategies would be part of it and then kind of faded. So we're going to bring it back to the forefront. I thought this would be a good topic to talk about today, given that a lot of time uh, these days, people might be really stressed out and uh, getting ready for finals and uh, under a lot of pressure. So I thought um, this would be a good time to go over some of these, because even if you can use one of these strategies, and that will be your your home exercise for today, foreshadowing, um, it's going to hopefully save you, you know, just some critical time, maybe with efficiency, um, or maybe just kind of make you a little bit better when it comes to uh, retaining information or being able to focus better. So those are the kinds of things we're going to be talking about. Um, so before we get into that, uh, just I have one announcement uh, to talk about. So well, a couple. Uh, I This is not going to be the last episode of the semester. We're in week 14 here at Rutgers, and uh, it kind of feels like it's come a little early. Uh, Next week is week 15 in some semesters, uh, in some classes in schools. For others, they probably have their week 15 the following week, the first week of May, uh, due to the spring break. So I think I had mentioned that I was going to do one more episode after this, but I'm actually going to end up doing two more. So I normally do my wrap-up show, and that will still be happening, Um, but I'm going to do one other episode. Uh, It's an interview episode, and uh, I'll give you some more information about that at the end. Um, But I had something coming up that kind of prompted me to to talk about this topic. I wanted to just mention briefly, because I'm hella excited about it. Uh, I'm going on a trip, a work trip. Um, to Europe, and I'm very, very fucking excited. I've never been uh, across the Atlantic, Uh, this will be my first time, which is pretty sad. Um, So I'm going to the Netherlands uh, for uh, a training opportunity, where I'm the trainer, uh, actually. So we had some some researchers from the Netherlands come and visit us, I think it was two years ago, at Rutgers, and we... uh, basically talked about and taught them the cognitive remediation intervention that we had done here at, uh, at Rutgers. And uh, they now are inviting us over there uh, to kind of continue that training as they've gotten some funding to, uh, 
to try out the intervention in the Netherlands. So I'm, they're flying me out to the Netherlands for a week, and my family will be joining me a little later in the week, and uh, we're going to explore some other parts, possibly, of the Netherlands. Uh, so I'm really excited about that, and, and that is the main reason why I've sort of had these cognitive strategies on my mind, because as I've been preparing... Um, thinking about getting back into this stuff after being away from it for a while as I've been mainly teaching and not doing uh, cognitive training. Um, so I thought this episode would help me, you know, in a way as well to kind of start refreshing my mind with some of these strategies we talk about. So let's get into them. We're going to focus on four main areas today. Uh, so the four areas are sort of I broke them down like this, your environment slash prospective memory. So like the things that are around you in your environment and, and ways we can work with them to our advantage. And prospective memory is like the memory you use when you are figuring out what you need to do in the future. So it's not necessarily like I need to retain information that I read from a textbook because I'm going to have to regurgitate it for a exam. It's more like, oh, I have this appointment and I got to remember it. So uh, prospective memory is what we call that or, and it relate, as it relates to your environment. And then the second area will be attention and focus. Third area will be memory in the way that you more think about it, you know, memory to retain information for, you know, say an exam. And then problem solving. I have a couple of things on problem solving. So prospective memory, you know, the memory you use to kind of uh, plans out sequences of events. Planning is, is an executive functioning skill. Um, if we think about cognition, cognition is really, you know, the way that you think and, and the way that your brain operates. Um, and there's a whole set of processes involved, you know, when we think of cognitive processes. Um, executive functioning processes are a subset of that. So it's a small minority of these that relate to, you know, among other things, you know, planning uh, and the ability to hold your attention and reason. So these are the types of areas where if a college student has trouble and, and has a deficit in these areas, it's going to impact them so much when it comes to school, right? If they can't plan out something, and that's what we're going to get into first when we talk about prospect and memory, um, it's going to be very hard. And you may have been able to get by in high school by not having the greatest planning skills, but it's going to be very hard in college because the assignments are just of a more detailed and complex nature. So it involves, you know, sequential thinking. And that is really, you know, one of the main aspects I think that defines college students and separates them from, from a lot of times people that don't embark uh, or don't, you know, that try it and it, it's not what they, it's not for them, is they might have struggle with these types of executive functioning skills. So when you think about sort of like planning out what you need to do in the future, what is the, the thing that comes to your head? Um, if you are like me, it is a calendar. If you're not, uh, it needs to be the thing that jumps into your head when you think about, oh, what is the biggest tool that I use when I'm in undergoing planning? Um, it's a calendar. And everybody calendars, it's a verb as well, uh, differently. So I, I learned so much about calendaring from doing this research study. And I got to see and meet so many college students and hear how they plan out. And some of them had systems that were even 
more, you know, organized and better overall than than my own. And some people went, came in with no system at all, which, you know, probably doesn't surprise people. You know, they, they came in to study and lacked that skill. So the ability to set up a calendar that works for you. You know, a lot of times you're just going to um, gravitate to whatever calendar pops up into your life. At that particular moment, you decide, hey, I need to start keeping track of shit. Um, other t- people are more thoughtful about it, uh, like myself. So I was uh, originally a paper calendar person, and then I switched to an electronic calendar for a number of years. And when I completed this study, I ended up actually going back to paper calendaring, and I'll, I'll never go back. Uh, it's just something about writing something down on paper that helps uh, with the ability to remember it. Even though you have the calendar as your tracking system so that you actually don't need to remember appointments, you know, that's what the calendar's for, uh, it's it's helpful to kind of have in the back of your mind without looking at it, you know, what you have to do. And it's a lot better if you write down things that you want to retain later. And we'll talk about that when we get to memory uh, and encoding. So having a calendar, but also having a to-do list. So that's the other way you plan, you know, and, um, David Allen, who's, uh, the big getting things done, GTD philosophy. He wrote a book called getting things done. It's really good. Um, he's got a very specific system for organizing your life. Um, I did, I read the book, really enjoyed it, uh, did a podcast on it, uh, and then promptly didn't do much of what he suggested, but I took away a few things from his system that I did do. One of them was setting up a filing cabinet system that they talk about in the book, which I highly recommend, even if you just uh, listen to that part or in on the audiobook or read it or find it online. Um, and the other was having this sort of next action list. You know, so whatever projects you're working on, consider, you know, you're going to have projects, you might have your class as a project in your mind. It's like, okay, this math class is, is my project for this semester along with the, all the other classes that I have to do. Or you might break it down even more concretely to be like, actually, the next action is uh, reading this chapter for this math class or studying for this test for this math class. Um, so you can sort of, you know, categorize it however you like. But I kind of think about it, you know, this next action is whatever kind of outstanding, and I don't mean wonderful, although it might be a wonderful class. I mean outstanding like isn't finished yet or isn't completed. Um, you kind of keep track of it on this to-do list of what your next action is for that. So if your project is, is, you know, your math class, what is the next action you have to do? And it might be a couple, you might have to read the textbook as well as, um, you know, start doing research for a paper, you know, if it's not a math class. (laughs) Um, So have a calendar, but also have a to do list where you sort of break down and know whatever the next action you have to take on that outstanding project that is yet to be completed. Um, This time of year, I like to, when it gets really close to the end, sometimes as an instructor I'll do this, but you can kind of do it as a student in the same way, a kind of what's left to do for each class. So I'll just take a a piece of paper, and I'm I'm a big fan of legal pads, as I may have discussed. If not, you know, that's another thing. It's just kind of finding the whatever writing system works for you. 
some people are big into typing. Uh, I prefer to write, especially with my recent injury to my wrists. I've been embraced writing even more. Um, so I do a what's left list for each of my classes. And I'll have, you know, oh, grade this, you know, talk to this student, hand this back. So think about what it would be for you, you know, one last chapter to read, you know, one last assignment to turn in or two last assignments, got to study for this exam. So really, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, and you can actually list on a piece of paper, you know, five things around or, you know, might be a few more than that. But when I get down to that level of left to do, I will sort of kind of create a, a list of just whatever is outstanding for each class. And it's so wonderful to like check those off because once everything in the in that class is checked off, you can kind of check off the class in your mind and be like, all right, I'm done. So let's get into our environment a little before we move on to the next section. If you are the kind of person that struggles to keep track of items that are usually those really important items that you, if you lose them, are really going to be a big problem. So if you lost your wallet today, how much of a problem would that pose for you? Um, if you lost your cell phone, you know, how much of a big deal would that be for you? Or your, your set of keys? Um, or your planner, if it's not your phone? So these are the things that I think about, and it's like, man, I, I, I manage to keep track of these things, and the way that I do is with the system of sort of having a home for every one of these items. So the home for my keys is on a key hook next to the door, and when they are not in my pocket, specifically my right, uh, and I'm sorry, my left pocket, um, I'm that anal, um, which is where they live in their home uh, when they're not in my, uh, when they're not hanging on the hook. So there really are two homes, one when I'm using the keys in my left pocket and one when I'm not using my keys on the key hook. I used to not do this. <laughs> and I'd leave my keys all over the goddamn house and, you know, get ready to go to work or school one day and you're looking, where are my keys? Where are my keys? Uh, I had one really horrific morning where I actually... I don't remember, I had to call out of work or something because I just couldn't find my keys and couldn't get to work. It ended up being in the garbage can. <laughs> I remember that. Um, finding them hours and hours later. And that was the day I decided, you know what? And I went out and got like one of these you know, little dinky 99 cent hooks that's got a little sticky pad on it that you stick on the wall. And they work pretty well as long as your keys aren't, you know, 10 pounds. And after that, I always, whenever I moved, I would, that would be one of the first things I do is like, all right, where are my keys going to quote unquote live? And I learned this even before I started doing this uh, executive functioning cognitive remediation stuff. And it served me well. And then next to my hook, I have a little, little bowl where I put my wallet. Um, and I, you know, the cell phone is the hardest one because It'll live in my pocket when I'm out, but it doesn't really have a place where it lives when I'm, you know, sort of home because I'm using it often. So um, thinking about the things that are important to you and if you misplace them often, you know, that's sort of, again, related to planning. Uh, and think about how a misplaced item, like I said earlier with me and my keys, can really throw a monkey wrench into your plans for that day. Um, if this is you, try and think about, you know, settle it, settling in on these places. And it's sort of the end of the semester. Maybe this would have been a great thing to think about back in September. So if it, again, this is only, might only be temporary until you, you know, say move out of your dorms and back home. But 
any little stress that you can relieve during this, you know, heightened stressful time when it comes to finals and whatnot uh, is, a, is a plus in my book. And then uh, the other environmental thing I want to talk about is like your, your computer or wherever you end up doing most of your work for your class. Um, you have your, your desktop and your, your internet browser set up the way you want, you know. So some people like a very clean desktop, right, and they don't put anything on it. And some people have everything under the sun or some people have very specific things that they put on the desktop. And the same with their, their browser. You know, if you use Safari or Chrome, Firefox, whatever, you have your favorites listed and you may use your, your bookmarks. Um, you may have a bookmark bar at the top, which I think is very handy. You know, so think about these in terms of, you know, them being part of your environment. They're things you see often and, and they have an impact on how well you can work. Uh, and how efficiently you work. So one suggestion I have is, for clarity's sake, what I like to do with my desktop is is kind of organize everything. Like your computer just may be a shit show right now, in which case it's probably not worth it to take the time to organize all your files um, the way you'd like to when you could be doing stuff like, you know, studying for an exam that is going to, you know, determine a good portion of your grade. Uh, do that. But I think that kind of having, what I like to do with the desktop, and everyone's different, is I like to keep my sort of, the things that I have left to do, or again, outstanding items on there. And it's usually from emails that I'll, you know, hey, can you do this? And it's an attachment. It's like, okay, download it. When I now go on to my computer, and if you are like me and have a number of devices, uh, you know, all Apple devices now, it's great, like the desktop is sort of everywhere that you enable it. So I go on my desktop, computer and the desktop looks the same as it does on my MacBook Pro, um, which is, I just think, super cool. And I can access that desktop from my iCloud, you know, from my iPad or iPhone, whatever I want. So it's just so wonderful to have everything streamlined like that. And that really does keep the focus. So when I open up my computer, the first thing you usually see is, you know, your desktop. And you can kind of then take stock of the fact like, oh, I got a lot of stuff that I need to kind of clean off of here. And it's a good way for me to organize things that I haven't yet done. And they often correspond to those next action steps that are on my to-do list. But uh, if you are the one that can kind of be prone to distractions when you get online to do work, it's like, okay, I got to read this article online. And it's like, no, I'm just going to end up on Facebook or YouTube. <laughs> There's an hour of your day. Um, think about ways to get rid of that um, urge. And what I would like to suggest is having a separate browser. Uh, so if you normally use Chrome for all your you know, personal enjoyment shit, uh, it's going to have all your favorite websites, all your, your great distractors up there uh, right at the top if you like the bookmark bar. Um, don't use that as your browser when you are trying to get real serious work done. Because it's just so easy. I notice it. I play around with my bookmark bar a lot because I notice that if I have things on there, I'll check those sites more often. So I've played around. I'm like, well, you know, I have my work email and my my personal email on there. But like I had this message board that I used to go on fairly frequently. 
And I noticed I was just like mindlessly wasting time on there and really wasn't getting a lot out of it. Um, so all I did was move it out of the bookmark bar and into my favorites. And I'd say my the amount of times I checked that site has gone down probably 90% in the last, you know, since whenever I made that change. And the only thing is, I, I the only thing I did was move it, uh, you know, from the bookmark bar to favorites. Now think about how you might work this Again, you can eliminate distractions, but you can also bring things to the forefront. So making that bookmark bar, all sites that relate to school, you know, your school email, your school's learning management system for your online class, your library page where you can do your, you know, journal article searches, uh, bus route, I don't know, all those like handy school websites, you're going to be more prone to check them. And... If you're trying to avoid distractions, this is, you know, it's a small thing to do, but it can have sort of really interesting results in the way you kind of direct your time when you just have that moment of like, hmm, what should I do now? And you want to capture that and say, schoolwork, you know, get this shit done. All right, we'll move into attention and focus now. The big thing I learned from my uh, my disability that I had experienced this semester and the ongoing rehabilitation, the biggest change has been to my daily workflow and how I approach what I have to do on a day-to-day basis. So I, I spent a lot of time at the computer and my OT said, you know, you have the biggest thing you have to do is just break up the amount of time you spend. So you could still spend a lot of time, but work for, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes, I'm slowly working my way up there, and then take a break, and possibly do something else for a little while before you sit back down. She's trying to get me to avoid long, prolonged stretches at the computer, hour, two hours, without getting up to walk around and stretch, you know, I have to do these little stretching exercises specific that will help me, but this really extends to everybody. You get so much more done, I've noticed, since kind of moving to this um, model of planning out my day in sort of 30-minute blocks. So I say, all right, so 30 minutes I'm going to spend doing this task, then I'm going to, you know, take a little break, and then I'm going to work on this task for 30 minutes, and then I'm going to do this other one, or I might go back to the other one. Uh, it seems to keep me fresher because I have to take breaks frequently. It's sort of 30 minutes is a good chunk of time. It is it is quite similar to the Pomodoro method, which I may have discussed at a previous podcast. This idea, Pomodoro, is it's you know um, Italian for tomato, I believe, and then they call it you know it's a tomato timer. I guess it was related to cooking. I'm not sure on the uh, the history, uh, the etiology of that, but it's this idea that you work for 25 minute spurts and then take five minute breaks. And that's how you do it. 25 on, 5 off. 25 on, 5 off. Um, supposed to be a very highly effective way. So I use 30 minutes. And again, I, that might be 20 for me and then 40 the next time. So don't be like, you, you don't have to be super on top of the exact minute. I know in my mind, you know, kind of how long I've been. Other people just might get lost in their work, in which case I would recommend some kind of like timer to help keep track of when you need to take a break. It's important. You might think, ah, I'm going to take a break. I don't want to do that. That's less time I'll be able to study. Yeah, but if the study time that you get as a result of that break is much more efficient, you're able to really capture the info better, it's well worth it. So planning your day in 30-minute blocks, self-talk. 
is the other big thing when it comes to focus and attention. Um, being able to talk through a problem, talk through you know what you have to do for that particular day, uh, what you can't afford to forget, um, hearing your brain, uh, your brain hearing your voice seems to do something. You know, putting it out there into the universe, even if you're the only one that hears it. Um, does seem to have an effect on people's ability to pay attention. Uh, the example I give, I used to give in the uh, cognitive training would be, you know, if you've ever experienced this, some of you may not, um, with cell phones these days, but if you've ever just kind of been lost anywhere, you know, in a building or on the road somewhere and not been able to use your phone to get out of that problem, right? So you actually have to depend on a stranger in these days. And this is what we did back in the day. We didn't have GPSs, so we, if we got lost, we would stop and ask somebody. <laughs> um, and they might say, oh, yeah, no problem. You got to go down this way and make a right, and then here, go here, make a left. And you're sitting there, and you're not writing it down because whoever does that. And you're just like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then you turn around and go to drive away, and you're like, uh, what did you just say? <laughs> um, so what you want to do is repeat what he says, he or she. It's like, okay, so you said I'm supposed to go down to this street and make a right, you know, and sort of mimic, not mimic, but because mimicking would be saying the exact same thing they said, uh, otherwise known as parroting. But you want to summarize and say it back. Um, so summarizing information in your own words helps with being able to retain it later. If you're trying to write down or think in terms of somebody else's way they worded it, um, you're going to have a harder time remembering it. And this goes for note-taking, too, which I'll talk about uh, in the next section. So self-talk is a big one. So, oh, and then the after, you know, so what you would do after you summarized the information, okay, so I got to go this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, right? Yeah, 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 that's how you do it. Okay, good luck. You drive away. Now, as you're driving, you self-talk your way through it. So so she said, I need to go down to this stop sign and make a right. And talk to yourself through the process of getting unlost, and it will be easier than if you did not talk out loud. You may feel silly doing it. I know, but trust me, it helps. Uh, Another thing you could do to help with attention and focus, particularly in the classroom, is allow yourself the ability to take breaks by recording your lectures. Everybody's got the ability to record a lecture these days um, with, again, that same device that's in their pockets. So use it to your advantage. Um, If you're the kind of person where it's just a challenge to get to class, let alone actually listen in the class when you get there, you know, it's okay some days to be like, you know what, I'm uh, going to use some, some help I'm going to get some help for this problem and, and record, and your recorder becomes your sort of crutch, and that's okay. So depend on the crutch for that. Be like, no, I need this. You know, this is an accommodation you can get if your instructor's a dick and doesn't want you recording their lectures. In case you couldn't tell, I think that's pretty fucking stupid. Uh, so record things that might be important for you to remember later that you feel you would struggle uh, being able to retain or focus on. Um And then think about, when it comes to being able to pay attention, think about where and how you work best. So it might be a big shift for you now if you were to take me up on the suggestion of only working 30 minutes on and then take a few minutes and switch up your tasks. Um, But if you think about where you work and how it contributes to your productivity or detracts from it, 
um, might be helpful. I've been in my house the last few days completely alone every day um, because my wife's been working, and it's it's helpful for me. Uh, even even though you know, last month when she wasn't working, um, she'd be home. Um, my son might be home. He might be not. He might be at school. They'd be downstairs though, and I'd be up in the attic. Like there should be enough of that separation where I sh- would be able to concentrate. But it there's just something about being alone where there's absolutely no noise, and I'm I don't really have any opportunity to get distracted by somebody else. Uh, it, it really, for me, helps a great deal. For other people. I've seen people study in the middle of, you know, crowded cafes and they say that it helps. So I don't want to tell people what works best because the thing that works best is what works best for you. And complete silence might be really overwhelming for other people. All right. Memory is the next one. So some of these things I know I've talked about. You know, having an, uh, if you need to think of something or retain something for a test, what are some ways that you can do it? Some of the tips. So, coming up with a funny acronym um, might be good. You know, if it's a long type of uh, string of words you need to remember, coming up with an acronym or a funny sentence to help you remember the first letter of each word you need to remember can be really helpful because it's much easier to remember a funny sentence that you make up then it might be to remember something that is, you know, quite challenging in the context of your your coursework. Uh, visual imagery. So if you don't, if you're not a wordy person, if you're more visual, you can kind of the thing you're thinking about turn it into a funny picture in your head. And then when you're sitting there in your exam and it comes up, you'll think about that picture and the material that you studied will come to you. We talked about note-taking a little bit earlier. Um, The big key for note-taking is the ability to summarize what you hear. Uh, So instructor says something, you know, talks for two minutes. And you're like, okay, I got what he's saying. In summarizing it, he basically wants us to know this, this, and this. Contrast that to other types of note-takers, and I've seen them out there. This may be you where you are more of a um, transcript transcriber and you are writing everything the person says as much as they can in their own vernacular, you know, using the phrases and the terminology that the instructor uses. Sometimes that's important, right? If it's a critical piece and it relates to the course, but sometimes it's just the way they happen to choose to describe something. And that is open to interpretation and can be summarized. And if, if it can be summarized, it should be because you're going to remember your own version much better than the summarized version of somebody else. Um, so the key is, is to uh, summarize what you hear. Don't just transcribe what you hear. And then again, note-taking is, is literally one of the hardest, if not the hardest skill you need to possess as a student. So you can get better at at it with practice. And I encourage people to take it seriously if they really struggle. Or, you you know, get help. Use a tape recorder, and that way you can slow it down and do it as much as you want. The thing with the tape recorder, though, is you have to be diligent because you basically have to take time out of the course when you're not in class and listen, uh, listen to it and take notes. And some people don't want to have to do that a second time. There are ways to cut corners, but... 
um, just consider that. And then you want to encode, oh, I'm sorry, one more thing related to note-taking, reviewing your notes after you take them. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I did this as a student, you know, walk to class, sit down, and I'd be maybe pretty alert that day and take good notes. Think, yeah, that was great. I learned it all. And then what do I do? Put the notebook away until next week or until I needed it for the homework assignment. And then again, rip it out, take more notes. And when the exam came, I would read the notes, review the notes well after I took them. So add this little step into that process and it will go so much easier for you. Take the notes. The next day, review the notes, preferably reading them out loud, you know, incorporating the self-talk aspect too. Um, you would be amazed how much more you retain just by getting that second glance at them within a short time frame of the first time you encoded that material. All right, so review your notes soon after you take them. And then again, you know, when it gets closer to the final. But you won't have to, you won't have to spend as much time closer to the final if you take that extra step throughout the semester. Overall, you want to focus on encoding information well. If you just sit there in class with nothing on in front of you, you know, no notebook, computer, nothing to take notes or, or retain what you're hearing, you just use your ears, I don't know what the percentage is, but let's say maybe you'll remember 50% of it, you know, three days later. I don't know. Probably you'll remember a lot less, but let's say 50%. But if you take the opportunity to write down what you're hearing in the form of taking notes, you'll retain even more. Because you're not only encoding it with your ears, but you're also encoding it with your eyes in terms of writing it down and watching yourself as you write it down. If you were to take the next step of encoding and not only listen with your ears, write it down with your hands so you see it with your eyes, but also say it out loud as you're writing it down. Now you're going to hear it twice. Um, this may not work with note-taking, but more with studying. You know, reading a textbook out loud, for example, is a better way to encode the material than just to read silently in your head. Because your brain actually hears your voice and will take the opportunity to sort of double encode that uh, rather than the one way to doing it just with your eyes. Um, and then if you could categorize the information in some way or draw visual representations that would be yet another way to encode the information. So one way is going to encode it at a very low level. If you can stack multiple ways of encoding material, that is the best way to kind of approach studying. You know, say the material out loud, write it down, listen to it being said, draw a pictorial representation, uh, recategorize it in a way that is organized and makes sense to you. The last uh, area just to kind of talk about, um, talked about a little bit last week, is brainstorming. Um, I'm sorry, that the top, the area is, is problem solving. The strategy is brainstorming. And we were talking about this with last week, we were talking about heuristics. And I think heuristics kind of come into play here a lot when we think about some of the, the lapses and the, the struggles we, we have when it comes to being productive, right? When I talked earlier about having the favorites bar dictate so much of your internet traffic. Um, you know, that's not by accident. 
And you're really, it's really the availability heuristic, right? You're sitting there, you're like, hmm, which website should I go to next? The first thing you're going to think about is what's available to you and what's available to you and the things right in front of you. And it's like, oh, well, Facebook's right here. I'll check Facebook. <laughs> or if you just took it out of your, your bookmarks bar, it wouldn't necessarily be as readily available to you. And so you might think to look somewhere else. So the ability to generate uh, and brainstorm a number of possible solutions to whatever it is you're trying to tackle um, increases the amount of things available to you and will should help you make a more well-informed, better decision. Um, and then after that, systematic trial and error. So we want to continue to try things to see that we might be able to make our lives better. Um, it's better when we can do this in a systematic way so that we don't try things repeatedly that we know don't work already or, you know, kind of have a, a mishmash, um, unorganized way of doing this. So sort of that might work with, might, might be helped by journaling, um, you know, talking about, talking through how you're going to solve a problem can often help you when you goes to the actual problem solving process. So that was uh, the presentation talk for today, I guess. Uh, some different uh, executive functioning uh, problems that come up and some of the strategies that you might be able to use, uh, tips and tricks that you can incorporate into your workflow to help um, be a little bit more efficient. And if you can be efficient, it should help with your productivity. So for next week... I'd like you to try and incorporate at least one of these strategies into your routine. Uh, it might be as it relates to, uh, you know, finishing out the semester. It might relate to achieving your goal. Uh, whichever one, that's great. I would like to hear about it. Send me an email. Let me know if the strategy worked or not. Uh, and then, so for next week, you will hear from me again two more times. Uh, I'm just not sure. I might do my wrap-up episode first and then uh, do this interview as sort of a bonus after the fact. Or if the interview becomes available, I'm going to post that next week and then do the wrap-up the following week. Um, either way, uh, just a, a note about the interview. The interview, uh, the person that I interviewed is me. <laughs> I was interviewed for a podcast, which was uh, a great privilege. Uh, somebody, uh, a podcaster reached out to me and was interested in having me on his show. So we did the interview last week and it's going to be posted on his show. And then once it's available, I'm going to be posting it on mine as well. So it is, uh, the name of the podcast is Taming the High Cost of College. And so it's geared more towards like parents of college students or maybe whoever is the the person responsible for uh, financing it. And uh, what I talked about is mainly, you know, different types of uh, issues and things that come up for college students that are, you know, entering college that might experience mental health issues. So I don't really talk a lot about how to pay for college. I talk a lot about you know, some of the things we talked about here, you know, we talked a little bit about rap plans and, um, you know, why we do the podcast here and stuff. So I uh, really appreciated the opportunity and thought it would be cool for you guys to hear me get interviewed by somebody. So I'm going to uh, make that available as well. So hopefully you like it. If not, that's well, okay. But uh, yeah, give Brad's podcast a listen, Taming the High Cost of College. 
I'll put a note, a link in the show notes when I do make it available or when his is available as well. Otherwise, that's it for this week. Uh, We will be coming back at you next week. Until then, kill it on those goals, guys. Peace.